To don't think, do. Welcome back, more to the point. Welcome back, indeed, to you, Cam, and to you, Dave. It's it's been a little bit of time, hasn't it? <laughs> it always is. It always is. And um, I have heard through um, our listener feedback that there's been some calls for um, the next episode to drop. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, we appreciate the feedback from Lachlan and Q. Lachlan and Q. Hello, Lachlan. Who's uh, been clamouring for uh, for more content. I like it when people clamour. Mm. Now, we need to put a trigger warning on this episode, Cam. Yes, we do, Dave. Because uh, I can... Should we tell people what the uh, what the title of the episode is now? <laughs> well, we might as well. We might as well. Uh, so this episode will be called Stuart Law. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the first episode we've actually known the title of in advance. <laughs> um, but uh, we're, we're very... We, we Going into this, we knew, it, we knew what it would be. Um, and, and, and those uh, those cricket fans out there familiar with the 95-96 Australia-Sri Lanka Test yeah, Series I reckon that it was about right um, when Ricky Ponting made his debut that's right it was indeed so too did did Stuart Law he did indeed um, and on debut Dave um, he, he accounted himself well didn't he? he he certainly did you know a maiden maiden um, Test Match 50 um that has um, left him in uh, one of the most remarkable positions in cricket history. Statistical limbo. Statistical limbo. <laughs> I like that. That being um, <clears throat> 50 not out, which nets you an average of zero. Yeah, which nets him an average of zero. So the only man ever to have a test 50, but uh, a test average of zero. Mm. Um, did, what did you make of the umpire's decision to dismiss um, Ricky Ponting in that innings? I felt it was it was it was going high. Now, now you, you, you're going to have to remind me of the, the call, David. Uh, Shimin Devas was uh, okay. left, yep. left arm over the wicket. Yep. Ponting on, I think, 98 on debut. Yep. The um, precocious ah, yes, yeah, from, yeah, um, I remember from that now. And was given out LBW, yeah. but uh, ball tracking these days would have said it was passing well over the stumps. Well, funny you mentioned ball tracking and LBW decisions. Um, I, I noticed on my Twitter feed during the week... Uh, Ravi's Raja um, just tweeting that he had um, that he wished um, he was hoping that uh, Hawkeye technology could retroactively um, be applied to his dismissal in the '92 World Cup final, which he uh, still claims was going down leg side. Now, I'm not quite sure of what prompted that, um, that that reflection by Ravi's, but I was good, glad to see it. What a concept! Yeah, going back to sporting contests past, yeah, with contemporary technology. And perhaps refreshing the results. Is that the idea? I think that's it. Well, correcting past wrongs, Dave. Yeah. I think that's the point. Correcting I mean, past wrongs. I mean, I'm sure Wazam Akram would want to go back to that uh, that day against Gilchrist and Langer and Hobart. Where yes. Langer, it would seem, nicked the ball. Yeah. But, um, put the noise down to uh, his bat cracking. <laughs> and continue on in that uh, record-breaking partnership that won the game. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, I'm just trying to think of uh, Craig McDermott at the Adelaide Oval. Um, oh, oh, that off the off the helmet. Off the uh, helmet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> wasn't happy with that dismissal to give uh, give the West Indians the game. Mm. Um, but uh, that that'd be one that um, that retroactively, retrospectively, and in that instance, Dave. That would change the outcome of the test match. Of the, of the match, uh, of the series. Well, actually, 
See, this is an interesting question because if you were going to do that, and I'm, I'm with you, I'm all for this. <laughs> Let's right past wrongs. I mean, we've got the technology. We've got the technology. We can do it. So, in order to right that wrong, and we'll go back to McDermott um, by example. So that happened on the, well, I want to say it was the third last, fourth last ball of the match or something. Mm-hmm. Australia needing one, two runs to win. Two, two to win. Two to win. Yeah, one to tie. Um, two to win, one to tie. What I think needs to happen, Dave, is you apply the technology, and once the ICC make the decision that yes, the incorrect decision was wrong, mm. then you've got to reassemble the teams <laughs> and play out the remaining part of the game. That's a brilliant idea. Mm. I mean, because if you don't do that, Dave, you don't actually correct the wrong. Yeah, you got to right the wrongs. You got to right the wrongs here. Now, was Malcolm Marshall playing in that? In that match, um, it's, it's going to be tough to get him out again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not into exhuming corpses, so I don't know if he was. Might have been an attack of Walsh, Ambrose, Bishop, and uh, Roger Harper. It could Roger Harper. <laughs> what a lot of fieldsman he was. Um, I, I certainly was. It was Ambrose Walsh. Um, uh, Bishop definitely played. Bishop. He hit Langer on the helmet a few times. Yeah. Okay. Blue. Yeah. Perhaps was it Patrick Patterson in there or? Very young Patrick Patterson. Or Anderson Cummins. Could have been Anderson. Anderson Cummins. Could could well be. Was it Roger Harper bowling his his wily um wily yeah, sort of round um off off spinners. Yeah, right arm offies. Or, or, or was Sir Isaac Vivian uh, just rolling the arm over? Oh, I'm sure he would have. Yeah, he would have sort of gone through a couple of overs in about a minute each. Can I tell you that's one of the things I enjoyed most about late eighties cricket, Dave? <laughs> was uh, Australia versus West Indies to begin with, but the fact that um, that both captains had a tendency to bowl themselves with really gentle finger spinners. Mm. You know, they, they, weren't, um, they weren't doing a great deal. They weren't moving it a lot. But uh, invariably, any test match, they'd, uh, they'd, they'd just say at one point, all right, give me the, give me the ball. Yeah. Uh, and bring themselves on. And uh, yeah. look, and, and both, both had quite reasonable records, I think, as, uh, as, as gentle finger spinners. Mm. And they, just, they, could, they both had that, that um, ability to send down... Sort of seven overs, none for nineteen. Yeah, you know. Yep, yep. Just tie up an end. Respectable. <clears throat> yep, tight. Yeah, tight. Tie up an end um, and, and avoid uh, uh, avoid uh, avoid conceding runs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, Kim, we received some listener correspondence mm. that I'd like to get to early in the show, um, essentially because I'm worried that I'll forget about it. And given this is this is fifty not out, uh, we'll do that. And we received some correspondence from uh, Charles. Hello, Charles. Charles, formerly of Ottawa, but now of the County of Kings in Nova Scotia. Tremendous. So before we get to Charles' uh, sporting contribution, I think we should just linger on the fact that he lives in a place called the County of Kings in yeah. Nova Scotia. Did, did, have you looked up where the County of Kings is? <laughs> I haven't had a chance, unfortunately. No. Um, so hello to you, Charles. We trust all is well in Nova Scotia and that uh, you're enjoying some Alastair McLeod short story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Any, anywhere, do you think he's close to Cape Breton? He may well be. Yeah, he could mm. well be up there. Um, just the... You know, I, when I think of Nova Scotia, Dave, I just think of the, um, the striking um, colours of the, the various um, you know, fishing... Uh, fishing shacks down by the river. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think of the extraordinary contrast of rock and greenery and 
um, and bird life, Dave. Yeah, tremendous bird life. The boats bobbing in the harbour. The boats bobbing in the harbour. That's quite right. Um, you know the, um, the the sound and the feel of um, of heavy rope being dragged over heavily calloused hands. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's palpable, Dave. It's a hell of an image. It's, yeah. it's a hell of an image. Um, mm. Mm. So, so thank you, Charles, for for bringing our attention to. Uh, in response to an episode some some time ago where we looked at sports sort of out of context and Charles has come across the sport of sumo wrestling right which uh, has found an unlikely home in Brazil and specifically the only sort of sumo gym that's training female athletes I see now now sumo is is um, culturally and traditionally in Japan a, a male only pursuit isn't indeed, it indeed yes but this gym in in Sao Paulo mm. is uh, well, it's it's thriving. I think is yeah. uh, the findings of uh, of Charles and uh, and the correspondent whose whose work he centres. And is there any any reason provided for what has drawn the the good burgers of, of Sao Paulo to um to uh, to, to sumo? Look, I mean, you have to do your own research. But as far as I can tell, there's some sort of Cultural simpatico between Brazil and uh, and Japan, which I can see that. I mean, if I think of other things that Brazil and Japan have in common, uh, they're both holding an Olympic Games in this current. That's true. Period. Yes, that is true. And um, they both had, uh, in hindsight, compromising positions with the Nazis. Yep, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's definitely true. Um, they both like soccer. Uh, sorry, association football. Uh, they do. They're both big fans of association football. Uh, they both have boisterous crowds at association football. The uh, the mm. Blue Samurai, mm. um, renowned for some of their um, their, their quite aggressive um, and, and, and warrior like chanting. Yeah. Um, whereas the, uh, the the good people of Brazil. Um, the uh, the term will elude me, but did you know the nickname of the Brazilian soccer team? No, it, uh, I've just always thought of them as some sort of Los Galacticos or something. But I know, I know that's not it, but something along those lines. Um, it, it's now because I, I went along, Dave, earlier this year. I went along to uh, Argentina um, plays Brazil at the, uh, yes. at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Yes, um, and uh, part of the um, the fact sheet issued on the evening. Um, it was uh, it was some of this information about mm. the various teams, and um, anyway, yes, the, the Brazilian side, their nickname, or the most prominent nickname that they have, is actually um, the Canarinho. Uh-huh. And I um, to uh, listen to uh, Juliana from um, from Coburg. I hope that I've got that uh, that pronunciation correct. There, um, any notion as to what uh, Canarinho um, translates as? Look, my, my knowledge of, of Portuguese is not strong. Yeah, yeah. Particularly the uh, the Brazilian dialect. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it something canine in nature? Look, no, but I like where you've gone with it. It actually translates as little canary. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, it's, so it's truly canary yellow. Canary yellow. What they are wearing. Canary yellow is what they're wearing. Canary, yellow canary or little canary is the uh, is the nickname of, of um, Brazilians Association football side. You don't hear much about that in the sort of no. coverage, do you? No, no, you don't. You hear Blue Samurai, the 
Socceroos, the uh, yes, you do. The Azuri, yes, who are from Italy. The Azuri. Yeah. Should I hear about the, uh, the little Canaries? No, no, the Canarino. Maybe it's because you have to roll that H. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's to me, that's the sort of thing that, that a commentator such as Bruce McAvaney would revel in, mm. and perhaps that's the issue: is that Bruce has not been afforded the opportunity to commentate international association football competitive matches. Is Bruce looking to add a an association football World Cup to his resume before he retires from the commentating game? If you thought about it, it'd have to be the last the last thing on his list that he hasn't done. Mm. I mean, he's done Olympics, he's done Commonwealth Games, he's done... Uh, has he commentated the cricket? I suppose not. Because I'd love to see Bruce calling a test century. Yeah, I mean, he compared the Ted Whitten funeral... Um, you would like to hear Bruce do that, wouldn't you? you know, you'd love to hear Bruce out there um, in, in the commentary box. Um, you can imagine the, the gushing response mm. when, uh, when, when the final one just tickled around the corner for, a, for, for, for an unbeaten century. Yeah. Uh, Dave, off that match um, at the MCG, Argentina mm. and Brazil, mm. um, I don't, we haven't talked about this in the previous not. episode, have we? Um, look, I, I, I believe it, was, it took place just after our last episode. Ah, yes, well, that would, that would explain it. Um, I, look, I thought I might offer some, some reflections on, on the game, if, if, um, if you please, don't mind. Please. Um, I, uh, I turned up um, reasonably early, um, conscious that there was going to be a big crowd in, in attendance. Mm. Um, and sure enough, there was about 90,000 there mm-hmm. for the game, which was a fairly... For two South American giants, a very fairly doer affair, I have to say. But um, you know that, that's that's the way that the soccer, go, that the association football goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will note a couple of observations, and I, I attended um, with, uh, with with a good friend of mine who uh, passionate Brazilian supporter. Uh-huh. And and can I say one of the most interesting things that I found um, is, is how often people were out of their seats. Uh-huh. So, um, attending with, uh, with this friend of mine, all that really had to happen was Brazil get the ball, and they were out of their chair. Interesting. And that was the first half. Um, and can I say, for people who argue that soccer or association football is, is boring or dull because mm. they don't score often, mm. I challenge them to go to a game with someone as passionate as this and not be swept up and caught, <laughs> uh, swept away and caught up in it all. Yeah. Um, because I had no idea what was necessarily happening from time to time, um, or to my naked eye, as mm. as a um, as a as a student of the sport, yep. not an aficionado. Yep. Um, I thought it was a fairly you know innocuous moment in the match, but not according to the person I went with. So it's all about the interpretation. Of I the think moment. so, Dave. I think it's all about the interpretation. So that was one of my first observations: mm-hmm. is that I think the support of the sport. Um, will often, in this instance, lead to um, a greater affinity, perhaps, for the sport. Mm. Um, the, the second observation I had was late in the game, um, when it was a one-nil lead to Argentina. And, and look, if it was uh, if it was an escape of Australian rules football, um, you, you'd uh, you'd make the observation that the uh, the, the coach had uh, put the four best playmakers on the bench <laughs> and uh, was just playing out the clock. Mm-hmm. Ice in the clock. Ice in the clock yeah. would be the term used, um, and uh, some in the uh, in the stands decided to take their tickets and turn them into paper airplanes. And so, for the f- 
final 15 minutes of this um, this international friendly between yeah. two powerhouses, um, the Ponsford stand, yeah, uh, which is at the city end of the ground, um, for those uh, not familiar with the MCG, um, patrons took it upon themselves to fly planes um, with the attempt to get them onto the plane surface. <laughs> So there would have been, by the end, there probably would have been in excess of 100 Mm. paper aeroplanes. And I have to say that this was probably the most impressive event of the night. Yeah. Someone managed to get one to catch an air current that got it inside the 20-yard box. Is that right? Over the... Over the net. Yeah. Inside the 20-yard box. That's a... That is a hell of an achievement. I was staggered. Absolutely staggered. Did the players sort of take a moment and acknowledge it no to my utter disappointment mm-hmm. uh, even the goalkeeper who was just standing there as this aeroplane goes over his head no nothing unmoved now I I've I got to say I'm disappointed mm-hmm. um, I'm really really disappointed with that um, but uh, yeah look anyway it was, it was an interesting experience Dave I can't help but feel that I walked away a little hollow uh-huh. Um, not particularly satisfied, mm. um, uh, but, uh, but but I have to say, better for the experience. Good, yeah, good. Now, there's been some other news in our lengthy absence, Ken. Yes, and well, a couple of things have caught my eye. One is uh, a, a topic that's often close to our hearts, and that's the Olympic Games. Ah, yes. Now we know that Tokyo is hosting the next Summer Olympics and we've, mm. we've spoken at length about how much there is to look forward to there but in, in recent weeks the IOC in its wisdom has uh, has made a decision which I suppose they've, they've tried to make it look as if it was an exclusive club yeah but ultimately they ended up awarding Olympic Games to Everyone who wanted it, yeah, which was only two cities, mm. and they've given them one each. That being uh, Paris in twenty twenty four and Los Angeles in twenty twenty eight. If mm. I have my years right, mm-hmm. my question to you: Are you disappointed that they didn't simply make a proactive decision to select Melbourne? Yeah. Well, and secondly, have they missed an opportunity to um, bring North Korea? into the international fold and yeah. give these the Summer Olympics to Pyongyang? Look, these, these, are, these are tremendous questions. Yeah. Um, Please, tell, tell me your thoughts. I, I think, you know, I, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm a big fan of Thomas Park. Mm. Um, we are, at this, um, at this podcast, huge fans of, um, of Thomas Park and his work with uh, the IOC. But I think he's missed so many tricks here. Mm. <laughs> um, if I was his partner in this game of 500, I would be very, very <laughs> disappointed. Um, yeah, I'm throwing down Bowers and, and he's throwing me out rubbish. It's, it's not working here. Um, so, I, look, I, I, I firstly look at the awarding of the, uh, the games and I, I have to draw into question the logic mm. of just choosing the two cities who expressed interest. Mm. I mean, you're narrowing your field. If you're only going to go to cities that express an interest in hosting the games, you're not going to get the biggest field to choose from. Mm. So that's the first issue I've got. The yeah. second issue I've got is I think they've ignored the fact that, to best of my understanding, Melbourne just sit on standby for any sporting event at any time. Mm. With the the acknowledged um, 
notion that they will just we will make it happen. Yeah, is it sort of seven day turnaround? I, I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's the promise that uh, that Dan the Man Andrews has made that Melbourne could turn and, and Robert Doyle Melbourne could turn on uh, an Olympics, um, a Commonwealth Games, yeah. um, a, you know, a FINA swimming competition. Anything mm. you give us seven days, we'll give you world class yeah. staging. It's really just seven days to print the um, the record. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe some bunting. Yeah. Invite some people to attend. Yeah. But even you don't even need to do that because no. you know what I find in Melbourne, Dave, people can sniff it in the breeze. Yeah. You know, they go out on a Saturday morning or a, or a Thursday night and mm. they can smell that there's professional there's sport. Event. There's yeah. an event taking place somewhere, and it just like magnetism, Dave. It just drags people there. Yeah. You know, even if there's been no publicity, you, you'll find a crowd in attendance. Yeah. Um, so I'll look, I'm disappointed with Thomas Bach that, yeah. that he's ignored ignored that. Um, mm. I, I think that's again another another misstep. Now, what was your, your second question? Of um, just on the disappointment, I um, and I don't mean to be tasteless here, but uh, if I may draw a long bow, I feel that Dame Betty Cuthbert may also have been yes. deeply disappointed by the decision, and uh, I think she would have. Now, lest we forget her contribution. Quite, quite. To the world of sport. Yes. Uh, my second question was, in, in those difficult diplomatic times... Ah, yes. The IOC missed, missed a chance to yeah. have a sort of yeah. hands-across-the-water moment. Yeah. Well, look, and, and, and you think of the history of the Olympics, Dave, the Olympic movement. Mm. Um, I mean, it has been used as, as a peacemaking venture um, so many times in history. Yeah. You know, I go back to, um, I, I go back to 1936 and the Berlin Olympics... <laughs> Um, you know, a wonderful example of where the IOC, with great vision, saw um, the opportunity to stand in and, and, in, and bring Germany to the world. Yeah, and so, show, solidarity. Solidarity. And show the world that Germany was not a country to be feared, mm. but were a nation of, of, of good-hearted people. Yeah. Um, just genuinely interested in, in, in sport. Um, and, uh, and that's it. Yeah. Um, Moscow, nineteen eighty. Moscow, nineteen eighty. Dave, you know, it was it was a tremendous exercise in in diplomacy, only to be followed by Los Angeles in eighty four. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you can't you can't accuse the IOC of not addressing and taking on where the UN has mm. failed. Yeah, and so you know, as we move into um, into murkier waters between uh, between Western and uh, North Korean. Um, relations. Mm. I, I turn to the IOC. Um, I turn to Thomas Bark, and, and I ask him, "What is he going to do? Mm. You know, what are you going to do to resolve this this tension? Because yeah. you know, the rest of the world have shown that they can't do." Yeah, I mean, um, the IOC has. You're right in that they've done the right thing a few times, but they have missed opportunities before. I mean, I would have loved. Uh, I think Saigon would have been a wonderful host. I think so. Since '64, I think so. Just as they've been, just as they're rebuilding. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe Seoul in uh, yeah. '52 Olympics would have been yeah. an appropriate. Look, choice. I think a return to Sarajevo, Dave, is um, is long overdue. I, I think yeah, back in the mid '90s, that that was a real missed opportunity by yeah. by the IOC. Mm. Um, Sarajevo, the um, you know the, the home of Torval and Dean. You, you could have brought them back. Never to be forgotten. Yeah, never to be forgotten. Uh, you could have brought them back and and, uh, and at once um, had a wonderful nostalgia um, and then also solved um, the Balkans crisis. 
Yeah. Um, Again, missed opportunity day. Yeah. Um, so are you suggesting that the post Samarach that the IOC have just uh, just taken the taken the foot off the accelerator a bit? I mean, look, it's it's been a real mixed bag because I can't fault the selection of Tokyo. No. Um, no. We are on record as being. Uh, big fans of of, yes. of Japan's contribution to the Olympic movement. Yes, indeed, we are. Uh, Rio, well, I feel that the, the Rio Games were, were what a year on now, aren't we? They were in Olympics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interpret them as you will. Yep. And I feel that history will will judge them one way or another. I tell you what, history will do, Dave. It'll look as another missed opportunity that they didn't do the marathon on the course that we proposed. Oh, indeed. You know, through the favelas. <laughs> indeed. That was, that was their chance. Absolutely wasted opportunity. Mm. But, I mean, perhaps we need to take a, uh, a glass-half-full approach to mm. Paris and Los Angeles. What, what are some things that you're looking forward to in, in the 2028 games in, in LA, which I believe are the third time the games will return to? Yeah, Super Angels. <clears throat> yeah, um, what am I looking forward to? Um, oh, gang violence. Mm. Um, I think it could be a sport, Dave. Yep. I, I, I think uh, I think you're in, you know, you're in the sort of city that could make it work. Yeah. Um, it was it was excluded too easily in Rio, wasn't it? It was. Oh, well, and the, pushed, the, pushed to the margins. And the opportunity was there at Rio, Dave. Mm. And, and they and they looked at it and they said, no, we're going to go with other sports instead. Yep. Um, whereas they could have gone down the road of gang violence and you know um, and, and really pioneered it as uh, as the competitive out you know out 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 uh, out, uh, out activity. Yeah, that's not even a phrase. There's a competitive pursuit that it is. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you mean. That good. I'm glad because I'm not sure that I did. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that, Dave. Um, I'm looking forward to the exploitation of um, illegal migrant workers. Yeah. Um, yeah. In getting the venues up to speed and scratch in time. Yeah. Um, you know that's that's going to put people to work. Um, and uh, if if the current president's told us nothing, Dave, it's it's that putting people to work is his priority. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the current president still being president at that point because he will have overturned their laws on um, a maximum of two, yeah. two four-year yeah. terms. Yeah, that'd be good. And I believe he'll be a dictator for life by then. And yep. I think he'd just bring a beautiful balance yeah. to the Olympics. Yeah, I see that too. Um, Did, do you see him... Uh, look, I, I mean, I think back to other great world leaders... Uh, and I use great in the pejorative sense, mm-hmm. um, who have uh, fronted Olympics. Um, and so I think of uh, you know, Sir William Dean at, at, um, at, at Sydney, famously uh, banging the microphone um, you know, in, in his speech, uh, just embarrassing the nation. Um, that, that, that comes to mind readily. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think of images of Hitler walking out on, uh, on Jesse Owens at the 36 games. Yeah. Do you see uh, Trump as president in 2028 just echoing um, that, that gesture by Hitler um, by standing and turning his back on, say, a, a North Korean athlete? Yeah. Um, a, a, a Mexican fe- athlete. A Mexican, a, a woman. An Australian um, athlete. An Australian athlete. Um, anyone who happened to be an American athlete. Yeah. Do, do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, and, and, and that brings a lot to the games. It does. You know? It does. So it puts a real sort of... Competitive fire into into, the, into yeah. the, the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you wanted at Olympics, Dave. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's more than a game can. 
it is more than a game. <laughs> I think our Olympics have been too tame of late. I don't think there's been enough yeah. political passion behind the Olympics. I, I agree. I mean, I can't think of any any political passion since '84. Yeah. The last time it was at Los Angeles. I mean, you know, '92 was um, Amigos para siempre. You know, it was it was friends for. Friends for life. life, not so, it's it's very vanilla, isn't it? It was, you know, not, not just a summer or a spring. Yeah, um, you know, it was far too much Jose Carreras. Yeah, um, '96 Atlanta. I mean, there was a bomb there, I suppose. Which yes, there was. Yeah, yeah, I guess there was. Sydney was just mm-hmm. a love fest. Although he had Peter Garrett wearing his. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. Sort of, sort of the sorry uh, yeah, pyjamas political statement there mm. yeah that's true which netted him a seat in parliament so I guess yeah. uh, good on him yeah Greece was not a great deal um, no Beijing they kind of avoided all the politics didn't they yeah, it was it was scrubbed too clean in Beijing it was too clean yeah it was too synchronised too, too well organised yeah too military in, in, in need, its precision. We need more politics in our sport, Dave. I think yeah. it's, it's that simple. Yeah. It's that simple. Of, um, did I ask you a question about Pyongyang? Uh, I, think, I think we've, I we've think got, got there. there. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. Because um, I was about to segue out, so I just no. want to make sure we got there. Yes. Of, um, of politics in sport, Dave, I don't know whether you've caught up with this, but um, recently the, um, the International Tennis Federation... Oh, um, nice. Made a decision regarding former world number five Sara Arani. Oh no, I saw the name in, in headlines, but I must admit that the story itself has passed me by. Yeah. So um, look, at any rate, they the, the in their wisdom, the International Tennis Federation um, decided to, um, to to only hand down a uh, a three month ban. Sorry, two month two month ban on um, Arani for testing positive to um, to a banned substance. Mm-hmm. Um, and in their reasoning behind it, what they cited was um, Arani's defence, which was that um, she had ingested the banned substance via her mother's tortellini. <laughs> wow. So as, um, as the argument that put forward by uh, Mrs. Arani went, uh, sorry, as Ms. Arani went, mm-hmm. um, her mother has, is a sufferer of, um, of, of cancer, uh, multiple incidences, and takes a series of, um, of, of chemicals um, and sure. um, uh, pills to, uh, to support this. Mm. Um, and the story goes that she would leave these on the side of her kitchen worktop. Um, the ITF then believed that there was a reasonable chance um, that she had ingested uh, this substance Quote, when a pill fell into the tortellini or broth which she prepared on the 14th or 15th of February. That, uh... Gee. Do, do you applaud that sort of um, rational decision-making by, uh, by an international sports yeah, body? That's brilliant. I mean, yeah. you've got to reward creativity. Yeah. You've got to reward the, the specificity of tortellini. Not just pasta, no, tortellini, and a filled pasta at that. Yeah, dude. You know, if she if she'd said penne, yeah, then no, no one would have believed her. No, but tortellini, tortellini. Yeah. You, know, you can see it being wrapped up in the filling. Do you almost put it into the category of an of, a, of an excuse that is so ridiculous, it almost has to be true? I I, I do wonder if it's in uh, if it's in that category. That 
I've got to tell you, it brings to mind a few other a few other little stories. I mean, there's something quite Shane Warne about it. First of all, blaming blaming mum for uh, there's a for my positive drug test. There's a lot of SK Warne about it, indeed, David. Um, but it, it brings to mind a list of, of infamous people that have been found guilty of, oh, of uh, doping over the years. Yeah. Uh, LaShawn Merritt, American sprinter. Do you recall his excuse? LaShawn? Is that yeah. the first name? LaShawn LaShawn. Yeah, he's one of as them. As in the Sean? Uh, as in LaShawn, I suppose. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not aware. I'm sorry. Uh, he believed his uh, steroids were due to uh, his penis enlargement medication. Any... <laughs> uh, Any... Mm, okay, right, yep, go on. Um, the, the great Peter Corder. Former oh, uh, yes. Australian Open winner. Yes, Australian Open champion, yeah. Peter Corder. Yeah, and uh, I think the, probably the skinniest man to win a Grand Slam. That's fair. Uh, took uh, Nandrolone steroids and uh, blamed it on liking veal too much. <laughs> and um, felt that... Is it uh, naturally occurring in veal? I think the, the idea was that some uh, cows are given steroids to right, promote okay. growth of the, uh, the tissue. And, and, and is this one of those situations whereby... Because I... I think back to my youth, Dave, at uh, the height of the, uh, the, the AIDS paranoia. Um, and and uh, at one point, the statistic went around that you would need to drink four litres or, or something like that, or eight litres or 14 litres of, of, of human saliva to even run a risk of contracting AIDS um, in, in that manner. D- does this bear some sort of similarity that in order to have actually contracted... or Sorry, not contracted to have a traceable amount, you would have to eat kilograms of veal yeah. on a daily basis. That isn't cited in the, the list I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, it's, it's said that he would have needed to eat about 40 calves a day for 20 years. 40 calves a day? <laughs> was it believed? So, uh, look, he, he was suspended for 12 months, so I guess in that case the ITF um, didn't, didn't quite give him as much credence. And l- lastly, on, on this list that I'm thinking of, Justin Gatlin, who's been in the news quite recently... Yes, he has indeed, yeah. Uh, ...was, was banned for, for eight years, reduced to four on appeal for uh, testosterone. And his excuse was that his masseuse rubbed it into his buttocks without him knowing. <laughs> Just testosterone? Yeah, so extra testosterone, which um, can, can is, you, is very beneficial for a sprinter. Can you buy that in a, in a paste or a... Or, or a Cream for? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I'm not sure, but so, so to, to be almost serious for a moment, it actually saddens me that he won the world championship. Uh, yeah, yeah. In in this last week, because um, I mean, it's 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 just too bad that the eight, eight year ban wasn't upheld. I suppose is my point. So does all of this make you look back on Donovan Bailey with a different um, a, a different mindset, Dave? And so you know what he was he was honourable. Uh, oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Donovan Bailey was was honourable. Was an honourable man. Yeah, yeah. Um, much like uh, much like Brutus. Yeah, he was an honourable man. He was. Yeah. He just did what had to be done. Yeah. Were you thinking of Ben Johnson? I was thinking of Ben Johnson. Yeah. But I reckon Donovan Bailey got done for drugs as well, didn't he? Um, well, is he one of the few sprinters who wasn't playing? <laughs> he, he may have been clean. Um, I was thinking of Ben Johnson. Yeah. Sorry, I was going back to Soul '88. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone was juiced in Seoul in 88, weren't they? I reckon they might have been. Yeah. Except for Michael Johnson. 
Oh, sorry, Carl Lewis. Put no, Carl Lewis got done at one point. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, good. Just to, just to, just you to, know, bring it down. Yeah, bring it down. Utterly demoralising about all the athletes. Do you remember watching uh, the, the 100 metres final um, mm. from Seoul? Mm. I do. It's one of my earliest sporting memories yeah. is watching that and watching yeah. this, watching this man run at a, at, at, a, at a speed that at the time was just remarkable, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, beyond beyond comprehension, I think was the, the might have been the phrase used. Mm. Um, I can also remember Duncan Armstrong getting up as well oh, in, yes. the, in, the, in the hundred and knocking off Matt Biondi. Yes, um, sort of riding riding the uh, the crests of his. You know, he was dra- being dragged along yes, by Biondi. Dra- dragged along by Biondi. tactics, which I think have been somewhat eliminated from swimming due to the the sturdier lane ropes they have now, which is a real shame. It is a shame. It takes the tactics out of swimming. Well, it does, and it makes someone like Laurie Lawrence almost redundant. Mm. Um, you know, that, 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 that tactical edge that someone like Lawrence could drive yeah. just unfortunately no longer exists. You know, I reckon we had the World Swimming Championships recently, and I think it's fair to say they didn't capture the hearts and minds of all sports fans. Is it a no, way... Did, did we actually have them, though? Yeah. Right. They, they did exist. Right, okay. Is a way to reinvigorate aquatic sports particularly swimming races perhaps to take out the lane ropes altogether ah and 50 you know still a 50 metre pool yeah you've got to go up and back you've got to get to the twice end. or whatever it might be yeah but um, you're going to go along the edge or you're going to go up the middle and people well, can get really close to each other you know what I like about that idea Dave is it introduces a little bit of the open water swimming mm. um, conditions yeah. to the uh the cloistered environment of the pool. Yeah. Um, so I imagine some of those open water swimmers who, who I imagine look at those uh, those those pool swimmers as, as soft. Mm. Um, I imagine some of them would um, one perhaps be more interested now in turning their attention and talent to the pool. Mm. Mm. And secondly, could work into the, that space as a as a conditioning coach because once you open the uh, the lane ropes up. You've got different tactics at play here. Yeah. Yes, you've got where in the pool you are, but you've also got how do you best, um, within the rules of the sport, inhibit your opponent as you are swimming. So, you know, is it a squirrel rip? Yeah. Is it a, a short back heel into the testicles? Um, is, is it, it a kick to the head? Yeah, knocking the goggles off. Yeah, is it a knock of the goggles with the glasses? And, and yeah, these these take time and effort and repetition to be able to develop and cultivate in a way mm-hmm. um, whereby they, they um, happen within the rules of the sport um, and in that area known as gamesmanship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think if I take it back to Australian rules football at the moment, Dave, you know, Tom Hawkins is struggling with that. Yeah, um, he he just doesn't seem to be able to draw a line between gamesmanship and striking. Mm. I mean, has he struck you over the years as someone with a with a strong command of sort of the finer points of the game regulations? No, society. No, and he hasn't struck me as a person with a or an AFL footballer with a strong uh, command of the sport. To be honest, <laughs> it's just, I, I, I think he's uh, he's big. He's big. Yeah, yeah. That's it's the end of that conversation. Yeah. Um, 200 game career doing not a great deal of much <laughs> any Geelong supporters who are listeners are welcome to uh, to rebuke that should you wish but, yes um, you, you can send your complaints to don't think do podcast at gmail.com you can which uh, 
within about 12 hours will be decommissioned so uh... <laughs> we would welcome your thoughts mm. indeed Dave I, um, I noted um, uh, John Alexander former Australian tennis player uh, and current member of parliament yes um, recently um, came out uh, calling for a free vote on same sex marriage did he mm. Mm. Ah. of the parliamentarians he's so one of the recalcitrant he was he broke ranks and, um, and, and called for a free vote do you see that in keeping with the way that he played tennis <laughs> I absolutely do he, he I mean he was a double specialist he was wrong. he was uh, he was always an inclusive yeah uh, tennis player and Given that, gee, the, the mind, my mind immediately goes to, wouldn't it be wonderful to see him and Margaret Court wow. uh, in conversation? Wouldn't it be just? Or what about them playing some mixed doubles? <laughs> yeah, on the same team. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you reckon there'd be a bit of friendly fire if uh, you know? I tell you what, Court's at the net and he's yeah. serving and just yeah. um, I close the eyes a little bit on the first serve. I would not be playing the eye formation. <laughs> um, I would not be playing tandem. Or the eye formation with uh, with them because I think you'd be putting yourself right in the line of fire. They'd both just be hanging back on the baseline. Oh, yeah. Go ahead and serve. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that it's a natural progression for tennis players to move into politics? Mm. Yeah, you do. Oh, most certainly. Are you disappointed that Nuke didn't do it? I am. I yeah. think I think he'd do well with the. You know, I could see him picking up a seat in sort of North Queensland. Yeah, I could see that too. You know, a real yeah. man's man. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And. Look, frankly, uh, I hope it's not too soon to hope for this, but I'd love to see a career in politics for Bernard Tomic. Yeah. I agree. You know. I can see Bernie there. Yep. I mean, here's a man who quite recently complained about being bored with tennis. I I noted that, Dave, and that was that was on one of my things to talk about tonight. It was um was the great Bernard Tomic and, yeah. and this interview that he gave on, on one of the local networks in, in Melbourne. Um it was it was quite remarkable, wasn't it? I mean, I I think if I if I draw my attention back to it, he, I think I recall that he was he quoted as saying that he was amazed that he'd done as well as he'd done, <laughs> given that he hadn't really tried. Um, I appreciate that that very candid self assessment. Look, it is. <laughs> and can I say, with almost a degree of, of seriousness here, I walked away from that interview almost impressed with the level of of of, of ca- candidness. Candor. Candor. Candor's mm. the word. Level of candor that he um, that he displayed. Yeah. And the self self awareness is not something that frankly many tennis players have possession of. No, no that that's true. Self awareness is not something that they are that they are renowned for. I, I did think the line and you know, I never went to play for another country, I stayed loyal to Australia was a little bit incongruous <laughs> with his um, general uh, um, shall I say um, uh, disconnected mm. uh, approach to um, to his tennis? So is he suggesting now that he received offers to play for other countries? I, I believe so. Yes, because he um, he was born in Germany and his father is Croatian. Right. So um, and his mother's Bosnian. So I think he had multiple. So a few options. There, I understand he might have had multiple offers. Yeah. I, I, I was sort of picturing perhaps he might have had um, a. Uh, an offer as well from sort of a cashed up Middle Eastern nation. Ah, you know, you'd hope so. Qatar, you? perhaps offer. Yeah. You know, we'll yeah. give you a captaincy of the David, Qatar Davis Cup side. Yeah. Um, recruit someone else and then you'll be the dream team. But yeah. I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's almost too easy, but 
imagine Tomic and Kyrgios both playing for Qatar at the next Olympics it would be a formidable combination mm. Dave I, I, I draw your attention to this one as well um, and this is a direct quote throughout my career I've given 100% I've given also 30% <laughs> but if you balance it out I think all my career has been about 50% <laughs> and I haven't really tried and really achieved all this so I'm just amazed at what I've done. I mean, do you admire the humility of such a man? I, I must question his numbers. I mean, if he's been sometimes at 30 and sometimes at 100. Yeah. I mean, shouldn't he be... Uh, I guess if we take the median there, we're, we're looking at sort of 65. You don't look at the modal number there? Well, <laughs> but he's saying the average is about 50, so that, that, the 100% moments were pretty rare I suppose is, is what we can take away from that yeah yeah. I think that's what I'm taking away from that I mean it, frankly if, if you're going at 50% and you make the well, I guess he made the top 20 yeah well that's true I mean that's a fair effort I'd, lo- I'd love to see yeah. perhaps that's an opportunity for a new a new uh, format of tennis is you know perhaps an experimental tournament where players are simply banned from trying their hardest and they can only go at 50%. Now, there is an idea, David. There is an idea. Let's, let's get in the big names. Well, what a variable to throw into the sport. To actually constrict how much a player is allowed to try. Yeah. None of this running for the, you know... No. None of these defensive no. lobs. No. Roger. Roger, today, the constraint that's being put upon you is you must only be able to try 50%. Yeah. And if we see at any point that you are trying 51 or more percent... Code violation. Code violation. Yeah. Leighton, same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Jovac. Yeah. Not going to happen. I'd love to see that. You know, yeah. there's sort of a, a half-decent first serve and they just sort of... You know what it is, Dave? It, it would be a handicapping system for tennis. It would be introducing some sort of formal handicapping system to a... To a, to, a, to a deregulated sport mm. that at the moment is out of control. Yeah. So I guess what, I'm, well, I guess what we're saying, Dave, is the sport needs more Bernard Tomics. It needs more people with the capacity to vary their effort to such a precise amount so that they could respond to constraints and variables thrown at them in that sort of a manner. Yeah. More Bernard Tomics, David. Can we, I mean, look... Can we take it beyond tennis? Well, of course we could. Who, who, are, you, who are you thinking about? Or where, what, what sport are you thinking? I'd love to... I mean, I'd love to see Australian rules played at half effort. Yeah. yeah the, the, frankly, I, I what, think, what's I ruining, think ruining, what's I think ruining I've seen that, game? Dave. I yeah. think I've seen that before. <laughs> but what's ruining the game of 2017 <laughs> yeah. of Australian football yeah. is that everyone is always running their hardest. Yeah. They're always chasing their opponent. Is that gut running? It's, you know, everyone's protecting the ball and protecting the zone and all of that. They're too well drilled. I, I want to see people standing in the goal square. Yep. Not a chance they're running unless the ball's within sort of 20 metres. I think I saw that a few weeks ago with Patrick Dangerfield, didn't we, Dave? <laughs> still, alas, still managed to kick five. Alas, we did. <laughs> That's the sore spot. Um, no, I... I David, I agree. I agree absolutely wholeheartedly. Mm. And I think, I think that's something. Yeah, as you say, that that's missing from contemporary sport. Yeah, half efforts. Yeah, and, and, and validating them as 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 a skill in and of itself. 
Because sport played at 100% effort and 100% skill is frankly alienating to the average consumer. Yes, it is. By that very definition, it is. Mm. Yes. And if it's alienating, Dave, then it's very difficult for the average consumer, the fan, the supporter, to actually draw any sort of connection. It's not relatable. It's not relatable. Mm. And if as a supporter, if I continue this, this line of logic here, if you can't connect and you can't relate, well, why would you buy in? Yeah. Ipso facto, we need sports stars to search for the edge in both directions. Yeah, there you go. I mean, now that you say that loud, Cam, it, it seems so obvious. Yeah, it does. It's always doesn't. been there, and yet we've managed to miss it. I, I'm, I'm staggered that that you know some of the great tacticians of modern sport have have missed that. Mm. Um, need. Yeah. Because if I apply this logic, Dave, actually, and I, I, I do this retrospectively, does this cast a different light in your mind on someone like Hansi Cronier? <laughs> does it make you look at Hansi Cronier and say, actually, you know what, Hansi was 20 years ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. He was a visionary. Pioneer. He was a pioneer. He was able to precisely regulate his commitment to the game Yeah. at a time when no one else in sport, in cricket, could do that. That's a great observation. Salim Malik. Salim Malik. You know, a, a pioneer. Uh, uh, he just, he sort of saw it, yeah. They, they saw it in the wind. Yeah. And they read it before anyone else did, and they were punished for it. And they were, David. They were punished for their visionary mm. behaviour. Their mm. capacity to see beyond the immediate. They were punished for that. Yeah. Do you think the ICC needs to be held to account for that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, but... It, very typical ICC to be so short-sighted. Well, it is. Although, if I use this as an opportunity to segue with the I- regards to the ICC, Dave... S- certainly. Did you note that um, uh, it would appear that they have um, secured um, cricket's entrance into the Olympics? For uh, Paris or Los Angeles? I-, I believe for Paris in 2024. Oh, wow. Now, my recollection is that the French are reigning... Olympic champions, Olympic in, champions cricket. in cricket from, from uh, Paris 1900. So isn't that tremendous that it will come back wow. and the French will be defending champions? <laughs> it's just great news. And, and as host nations automatically qualify. Yeah. And I tell you what, I back them to go back to back. What a real fillip for French cricket this yeah, is. It will, <laughs> it will be indeed. And I, um, I reckon they'll go back to back, Dave. I mean, I, I assume uh, Phil Jacks will be playing. I can only hope um, that Phil Jacques will be there. Stephen Devereux will presumably play for the French. One would hope. One would hope. And, and that's what I would I would envision, Dave, is that like Dirk Nannis, <laughs> who, um, who who at, at um, representative level mm. saw the call back to the home nation of, of, of Holland, yeah. I'd like to see international cricketers see this as an opportunity to, to return to France yeah. and help bring the French... Onto the international cricketing scene. Yeah. What I'm looking forward to, Dave, is um, a cricket ground in Paris. Now, are you seeing that in one of the bois on the uh, on the oh, outskirts yes. of town? Are you just seeing the felling of some trees and then the, the the development of a park ground? I I, I do like that concept. Yeah. Um, do you see the, the, Versailles? Maybe. I think the big lawn of Versailles. Yeah. At the back of the palace. There. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because you could set up some seating on the stairs to sort of cascade down from the yeah. building. Maybe that's the way to do it. I mean, well, we're going to need more than one picket ground. Yeah. So perhaps that's where your gold medal match happens. But yes. Filling some trees in the, the, the Bois de Boulogne, I think, yeah. um, mm. on, the, on the west side of town. I mean, you know, a little boutique ground there. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I, I think that's what we need, more boutique grounds, David. I don't, I don't think we have enough. No. <laughs> um, I don't think we have enough at all. And look, that's going to be the legacy of the Paris Olympics, isn't it? Yeah. Is the provision of cricketing facilities in the heart of Paris for the French. Mm. Because I, I know, and I hear this daily, Dave, and it comes up on my Twitter feed, it comes up in, in my news sources, that the French are calling out for greater access to cricket. Yeah, we, we hear it all the time. They want more product. Yeah. They want more involvement. They're disillusioned with their other sports. They are, Dave. They're absolutely disillusioned with uh, with uh, Lecoq, you know, mm. the, the, the rugby union side. They're, yep. they're not happy. Yep. Um, French tennis is going nowhere. French tennis is going nowhere, um, like uh, Angus Monfrey's career. Um, their association... <laughs> their, their association football team is, uh, is disappointing. Yeah. After the heights of, um, of of a World Cup victory, mm. um, some some twenty years ago now, or close mm. to, um, the Latour ha- has has finished and is mired in in controversy. Mm. Absolutely mired in controversy every each and every year. It's just, just sorry, just a segue on that, Cam, for a moment. Is it time we've talked a lot about major international sporting events and where they should be hosted? We're talking about the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Is it time to move? Le Tour de France. Yeah, it is. It's tired. It, it, like, Elk de Wies. I've yeah. had enough. It, we, we get it. Yeah. Don't we? We get it. Yeah. Is it time to move Le Tour to, I don't know, Nepal? Oh, gee. Imagine that. You know, let's really see who's king of the mountain. <laughs> Climbing the base camp one. <laughs> How's that? You know, you can have all the, all the sort of carbohydrate gels that you want, but if, if you're suffering from altitude yeah, Yes, yeah, I agree. Do, do you think, um, would they have to, you know how they have the 1, 2, 3, 4 and the HC um, classifications, mm. would they have to restructure those classifications? Yeah, I suppose yeah, so. Yeah, K2 becomes an H3 or something like that. <laughs> I, I can see that, Dave. And, and, you know, and some of the roads, those treacherous roads that you see yeah, yeah. in the countries of the Himalayas where there's sort of barely room for a, or a single vehicle to get around mm. you know have them coming down those roads yes and let's see who's who's got the, yeah. the intestinal fortitude to go at top speed and, and the control absolutely I mean that's I think that's the sort of challenge that Latour needs mm. to, to to continue to capture the hearts and minds of people give it some meaning give it give it some meaning someone else was searching for meaning in life Dave uh, recently was Siri and both of them Oh yes, mm. um, and uh, it, uh, it has emerged that um, Serian is um, has put forward a plan um, to donate all his pheasants and partridges that are shot on his shooting estates um, to um, help poverty in the UK. We talk about being relatable. Yeah, you know. Yeah, a man of the people. A man of the people. Um, so the chari- this charitable scheme, it would seem, uh, we'll see. Um, See, Serene, donate uh, 10,000 game birds, it would appear, um, to, as free meals each year to, um, to the homeless. Uh, how many birds does he have? 
Well, I, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm thinking. He must own significant land in wow. the United Kingdom. Wow. I hadn't realised he'd become some sort of um, some sort of landed gentry figure. Is he? I mean, is, does he have a seat in the House of Lords now? Is that? Uh... Uh, would he, no, no, that would be the next step. Lord Botham would yeah. get a seat in the House of Lords. Yeah, um, I have time he had a peerage, isn't it? I think it is. I, th- I think that's a that's an oversight, isn't it? Maybe they're waiting for um, for, for Elizabeth to um, to to depart the throne and, and William to to ascend, and, and then the first order of business upon ascension rise, Lord Botham. Arise, Lord Botham. Arise, Lord Botham. Lord yeah. Botham. But do you admire that sort of level of? Of, of engagement with social issues mm. and connection with you know the common man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always been the common man, hasn't he, Beefy? I, I think that was the hallmark of his um, of his tenure as as, as captain, mm. uh, and then as um, as a cricketer for um, for uh, for Old Blighty. I saw uh, recently, and this is perhaps getting away from sport just just momentarily. A, a wonderful theory online that the character of David Brent from The Office oh, yes. uh, was based on Ian Botham. Uh, specifically, an interview he gave during his playing days, in which he his responses really were very David Brentish, sort of like, I'm an entertainer, you know, that kind of thing. It's, yeah. um, I'd commend it to you. It's worth looking into. Oh, I'll have a look. Thank mm. you. Thank you very mm. much. Um, Continuing on the theme of cricket, mm. I noted that um, Ravi Shastri has um, stepped down from uh, the coach of the Indian role. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, which is a great shame. Um, and and in, in that, there was some commentary written about him. And what was this, uh, this interview that he gave um, where, uh, where he, he mentioned that um, his role was to be in charge of the entire support staff and to make sure that um, all the boys are in a great mental space to go out and express themselves. Um, when they play, um, you know they, they need to be positive and fearless, and that's what he thinks he, he did when he was in charge for the last three years. Um, and, and then he was asked a follow-up question. Can, by, before you oh, go, I'm going to make an observation on mm-hmm. that. That, and I, I don't mean to make scurrilous accusations here, but just those the words you read to me there sound like. Ravi Shastri is is absolutely plagiarising the book of Brennan McCullum. <laughs> yes, it does. Giving the team freedom to go out and express themselves. Yes, it does. Straight from the McCullum yep. uh, manual, if I'm not wrong. And actually, I think you'll find that his answer to the follow-up question is also stolen from the Brennan McCullum handbook. Because um, when asked how exactly he did that, Shastri's response was, that is a skill. That is why I am here and not you. <laughs> And then when pressed further, and this is perhaps the most McCullum aspect of um, Ravi's response, when pressed further, um, and when asked, um, how, really, how did you achieve this? He observed that all he had to do to achieve the right atmosphere in the dressing room was walk in. <laughs> that was enough. Wow. Now, I mean, that one in one, uh, to, to follow up on your point, that is as McCullum as it gets. Yeah. To just be there. Yeah. Um, but two, Dave. Gee, that's um, that's some humble reflection on your own um, role and, and and value that you've provided. It really is. Yeah, I've got to tell you that it, it makes me think of a role that I think Shastri should aspire to. Mm. 
now that he he's unemployed, I gather. Well, that's my understanding. I could really see Ravi Shastri as uh, Secretary General of the United Nations. Yes. You yes. can walk into the General Assembly and have them respond in, in that sort of way. Diplomacy. Yeah, I can see that, Dave. Absolute front, um, front and centre diplomacy. Hmm. Now, um, how? <laughs> well, it's it's a good long innings here, Cam. It is, Dave. Look, are there any other pressing issues that uh, you needed to raise, or have we cleared the agenda? No, I think I think that's my agenda done, David. Any moments you'd like to reflect on as we um, as we come to an end of this uh, of this undefeated half century? No, I, I'd like I, to. I think, I'd it, like I think to, it all says it's, it all speaks for itself. I, I agree. I'd like to give um, a shout out to Greg in Austin. Yeah. I a, think uh, a very loyal supporter and contributor of yes. the program to the program. Yep, uh, among among others, but yeah. Greg Austin has yep. certainly been. I agree. Active in the don't think do community. It certainly has. Um, I think uh, I think Michelle in Windsor has been a great supporter of the program. Yes, um, understands um, our uh, our particular slant on world sport particularly well, mm. Uh, mm. and is supportive of it. So mm. uh, I, I thank Michelle in Windsor. Um, not a great deal of thanks to Louise in Richmond. Um, I I'm not sure I've enjoyed her um, uh, at times criticism, um, and uh, and at other times just a general sort of um, dis- disinterest. Oh, I've got no comment to to make on that. Look, uh, we're going to go out, Dave. We've got to go out telling it like it is. That's what we've done for for fifty episodes now. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, well. Um, well done to you, Cam. Now, well done to you, Dave. Thank you for your time and for, for sharing the last uh, the last eighteen months with me. It's actually been two years. Two years. Yes, this is this is our twenty third month of the podcast. <sighs> there you are. Two years. Well, thank you for sharing the last two years with me in this uh, in this little venture. It's been mm. it's been great fun. Um, listeners, thank you for joining us for this time. Um, these shows will stay on iTunes for. Until iTunes works out that we're no longer recording, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, until such time. So just continue to share with your friends. Yep. If there's a discerning individual that you know who you think might enjoy our particular slant on world sport, mm. please feel free to pass it on. And look, if anyone wants to pick up the mantle yeah. and continue... Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? Sort of at 51, not out. Mm. Um, get in touch. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. And... Um, Otherwise, let's just sort of think about Stuart Law for a moment. Yeah, yeah. And um, until such time as one of you do pick up the mantle, I guess it's time for us to say, for the last time, don't think. Do. See you.